Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of CareerGig and the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to exhibit bold leadership in times of change and the need to build mutual trust between leadership and employees for the long-term sustainability of an organization. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Chris Mahai, president of Avius, a division of MedDecision and author of several books, including the most recent, Bold, Essential Leadership for Transformative Change. Chris, welcome to the show. Greg, thanks. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. So let's let's start uh, by talking a little bit about your background. Uh, you're an entrepreneur and, and your company, Avius, was acquired by MedDecision recently. Tell us a little bit about that journey as an entrepreneur. Sure. Um, and I'll try not to go into too much detail, but mm-hmm. I do need to point out because it kind of relates to the way that we were thinking when we started Avius. But I came to entrepreneurialism after an early career, first in financial services and the media world, in both cases in big companies. Um, and what's relevant to your question is that my time in financial services was right during the height of deregulation of the industry. So we had to invent everything. Reinvent. We had to learn what product management was. Our view of marketing had to extend from, you know, get a toaster with a checking account <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> pricing strategies and uh, true full, fully formed marketing. And then I went into the media world in a publishing uh, and a company just at the time that the internet was coming online and we had to immediately pivot to think about how does this new emerging online world, how can we benefit from it? And so those big um, experiences and transformation taught me personally that I, I loved the businesses I was in. I feel like I had a great career in both of them, but I really love change and I love change done well. And looking around, um, we were seeing that most organizations struggle with accomplishing the things they set out to accomplish when they talk about transformation. So when we established Avius, it was 1999. Uh, Prince was singing the song. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. um, the dot-com explosion was happening. Um, there were all kinds of crazy ideas for people that might be listening that were around then. And um, the rules, the business rules, as we had all been taught in MBA school, were supposed to change completely. That didn't quite happen in the form that it was anticipated. But as a firm, um, we wanted to take people that loved the challenge of transformation, believed better things were possible than whatever the status quo was today, and wanted that to be the essence of the work. And so um, we started Avius. And um, the last 10 years, I would say, of our, uh, our independence has really evolved into more and more healthcare broadly. We've worked with medical device, health plans, 
um, uh, pro provider organizations, integrated health systems, professional services for healthcare, uh, pharmaceuticals, um, you name it. Um, but that's happening because there's so much change demand in the healthcare arena. MedDecision was actually a client of ours for several years, and um, Deb Gage, who's the CEO of MedDecision, was on our advisory board. And um, so when we decided it was time to move our team inside a company, MedDecision was a great choice because um, both of the companies are passionate about the same thing, which is helping healthcare organizations transform effectively. So I'll stop there. But that's how I got to starting my own business. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to follow up on that a little bit, I mean, as a, as an entrepreneur, so, I mean, you talked about working with organizations on change initiatives and, and things like that. What about leadership and how, how has being a, a leader as an entrepreneur shaped your views on, on leadership and other organizations? Yeah. So um, that's a great question too. Um, you mentioned my books when you were doing the introduction and actually I have a book in the drawer. I've had it in the drawer for some time. I pull it out every once in a while and someday I'll finish it. But the title, the working title is changing my mind about absolutely everything. And uh, it's not to be, um, you know, a flip flopper, but specifically leaving big companies. So the, my first two, corporate experiences and moving into an entrepreneurial environment literally changes your view about everything. Uh, one of the chapters is what cash flow, you know, again, if you go to, uh, uh, in school, you learn, you know, how to manage cash flow if you take any business classes at all. And that assumes you have cash, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, there are just simple things that seem so obvious. And one of the biggest things that struck me, uh, being in a small shop and being entrepreneurial is the value of a day. It is so easy in large companies for um, a decision to sit in an inbox, whether it's electronic or literal, um, for days or weeks. And people don't realize the cost of letting that languish. In a small business, every day, you can put a price tag on uh, making a decision today that um, can move you forward. And so literally everything about the entrepreneurial experience has changed the way I think about what kind of people do you want to surround yourself with? What kind of leader are you willing to be? How much of yourself are you going to put into what the business becomes? And those are all things that are important in large environments, but, um, you actually, uh, you can actually, um, the system, well, if I can put it that way, that exists and the culture that exists in a large organization can mask a lot of that for leaders. And it and it's one of the reasons we like to work on transformation is finding those leaders inside those large organizations that want to break through and want to do the entrepreneurial things that are still required, even if you're a large organization. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit to talk about a, another one of your books um, and what you define as, as bold leadership as, as defined in your most recent book. Um, can you explain what that, what you mean by bold? Yeah. So again, another short story. Um, we had our 15th anniversary in 2014. And um, at the time there were four partner owners. I've been the, I was the managing partner throughout. Um, 
and we were sitting around celebrating and drinking champagne and I asked what I thought was kind of a benign question, which was, when was our work fabulous? Not just good, not just great, but really out of the park, fabulous. And being consultants, we got out our whiteboard <laughs> and we, we jotted down what does fabulous mean? And of course, the first thing that had to be the client got more than they expected. They were able to transform more effectively. They got bigger results. The, they grew faster, whatever the decisions were. And then from our side, our team were energized by the work. We were learning and doing exciting work, you know, world-changing work. And then we looked at, uh, it was over 140 companies at the time that we'd worked with in those first 15 years. And we only picked 12 that we thought were fabulous. We thought we did very good work. We get really high scores when we ask our customers to rate and refer us. Um, so we're, you know, we have really good CSAT and NPS scores, whatever measure you want to relate to. Yeah. But um, in our own minds, only a, ha a dozen were fabulous. And so my next question was why? <laughs> and, you know, we looked at, is it, the, are we better at solving some problems? It wasn't that, are, is it that people, right businesses that put more resources on problems are more successful. It wasn't that. And what we found is that in all of the fabulous examples, the really successful examples, there was a person who was different, who had these rare characteristics that allowed them to accomplish things that others either don't or don't even attempt. And so we went on this journey to define um, bold leaders because we wanted to work with more of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, the definition of a bold leader is pretty simple. It's someone who thinks and acts beyond the existing organizational limits, is imaginative, and is willing to take risks to get rewarding results. I would add to that, um, in our experience, they are also, uh, they know they don't have all the answers and they are willing to take outside counsel because they value a change in perspective. Um, so they're willing not just to work with us, but to, you know, to find resources that can help them move their organization in, in bolder ways. Yeah. They do have some underlying qualities that we test for. And so maybe we can talk about that a little later if you want to, but there's certain characteristics that these people consistently showed up with. So we created an assessment to test for that. Yeah. I think it'd be great if you, if you go through that, actually, that, that would, that would help. Okay. So, um, uh, this also came, this is a true story. One of our uh, clients said at the time, I don't know if we have any bold leaders when we were talking to them, which was a frightening thought to me in this world because um, we're talking about agility. How can you yeah. move fast if you don't have this kind of leadership? Um, so that when we, uh, we, we did well over 100 interviews before we wrote the book, I've probably done that many since. We've had grouped conversations We've done some survey work and four characteristics popped out consistently when um, curiosity, confidence, empathy, and trust. And the difference, um, and I, I talk about this in the book, most leadership books, there's some really wonderful leadership books out there, but they, they start with leadership can be taught. And I believe leadership uh, skills can be taught, but yeah. for bold transformation, um, these people come in with some um, native born, natural born 
competencies and it's these four. They are curious and have been, you know, they never lost that two-year-old. Why, right. why, why person? Um, they're confident and uh, whether they've, usually they've been through the interviews I've done, most people have experienced some really hard knocks and setbacks only to come out stronger. They have empathy. They, the, you can train empathy skills. We do it all the time in our human-centered design work. But people that have a natural ability to connect with others, not just to understand them, but to translate what they're feeling and observing into the decisions they make, and then the ability to earn and give trust. And I know that's something you mentioned in the intro you want to talk about. But trust is fundamental to... Um, you're never going to change an organization single-handedly. So you've got to bring people with you. And the only way you bring people with you is to build authentic trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you recently wrote a white paper uh, about demonstrating bold leadership during times like those that we're living in, you know, during a global pandemic. Um, How does bold leadership, does it look differently? Are different things required in it? What is what are the what are the special things to keep in in mind during a, a a time such as what we're living in? Yeah, I think um, this has been a difficult year for everybody. I think, oh, right. um, uh, and, and in every business, and certainly working with healthcare organizations, struggling to um, figure out what the rules are as the COVID guidance has evolved, struggling to serve their communities, take care of their healthcare workers. Um, and we've seen a real range of um, response, everything from um, organizations that literally furloughed and hunkered down uh, to do as little as possible and to you know manage expenses became the priority um, first to other organizations, I know one that they decided literally overnight to go completely virtual in all their care and within 24 hours had equipped all of their care providers to be virtual with all of their member patients. Um, That's bold (laughs) to say, we can't wait, we have to move. And and you're seeing that, you know, even on Main Street, uh, you know, I just, I think there are certain people that in a crisis rise to the occasion. And you see this in uh, right down the block from where I used to live. Um, One of the chefs rallied a whole bunch of chefs in town to start um, making food for food banks, you know, and you see people converting small manufacturing plants to make PPE. Those are bold leaders who are saying that, you know, don't be, they have the confidence to say, we're going to get through this. And we're going to do things differently. And when we come out the other side, we're not going back. We're going forward. And there are just a million examples that are probably on the news every night. Um, But you literally see the spectrum of people um, uh, sheltering in place to the point of, you know, they're almost incapacitated to the people on the other extreme who become uber innovators. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Well, one one more on, uh, question on this line of thinking. Um, so you talked about you know what what bold leadership is for organizations that either you start working with or that are you know someone listening to this podcast. What's what's a good way to get started? Like where do you, where do you start when you want to make this kind of transformation? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think um, Jim Collins wrote about this. Lots of people have written about this, but you know, we're in the most basic sense, we're talking about putting the right people in the right seats on the bus, right? Yeah. So there are lots of great leaders who are highly competent because they work effectively in the status quo. They are not the people that are going to lead you through transformation. And um, very often organizations make the mistake of, here I have, you know, John or Sally, my high performers, they're high performers in the current environment. And then we put them on a task and we're disappointed that they failed. Well, they failed because they aren't, the, they don't have that uh, creative uh, curiosity to break through the status quo and change it. So the first place I tell organizations to start is define what you need to accomplish in the transformation. And then literally assess people in the book we give people you know here's a handful of questions you can ask and you can immediately say is this person bold or not are they capable of transformation or not you can also put people through the free online assessment we have but start by matching the person to the task and and not um a, sort of a political process the other thing i see organizations do that is a huge mistake and when you're talking about agility they let the politics of the organization or the structure of the organization make a transformation become representative government. And that just frankly doesn't work. The people who are assigned to those roles um, usually come in with a protect my function orientation, not a let's reinvent the organization orientation. So the, the place to start is what's the task, what are the skills required, and then where do we find the people free of whatever our current rules are? Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned agile. Um, so since we are on the the agile world here, let's let's talk a little bit about this relationship between you know, bold leadership and and agility. So, you know, you define bold, a bold leader as someone who thinks and acts beyond existing organizational limits, is imaginative, willing to take risks to get rewarding results. How do you think this enables someone to encourage this adaptivity and agility with an organization that's that's required really to be successful? Yeah, well, I think um, let's just start with this. The world's moving fast. Competition is fierce and getting more so. And traditional command and control structures are limiters. They are designed to protect and reduce risk. That's what they're designed to do and execute current rules. So when you're talking about agile, whether you literally mean agile development or you mean just creating agility and nimbleness in your organization, you need people who um, are, you know, they're not satisfied with the status quo that see a wall and their question is what's on the other side? <laughs> you know, yeah. how do we break through yeah. and, and, to, and to help um, encourage them to invent the next chapter? And... I'm very excited because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the tensions of generations at work. I honestly don't see that. I, I see bold leaders of all ages and especially I see younger people coming into the workforce who really have grown up with this curiosity gene um, uh, energized. And so I think that having a diverse population, having lots of people who see different points of view, having people who understand that 
speed and nimbleness is how you win in the marketplace today. Um, all the other things you can put in place once you kind of commit to how you want to operate differently than the kind of classic command and control. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I'd say, Greg, if, if you, again, if you look literally at agile methodology, the whole notion of scrum teams is a really simple idea. It is get a group of people, give them a task, no more than two or three weeks long, evaluate what they got done, set the next task and move again. You know, so it's that small wins on the way to a big win. Um, it's a really simple thing for people to get their heads around. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's, um, having talked with a lot of people, I think there, while there are definitely some organizations that are using agile in a very strict, you know, strict methodology, I think what you're, what you're keying on here is that there's, there's ways to introduce agility and incremental improvements and all that without, um, necessarily getting everybody scrum certified and, exactly. you know, that's, it's certainly appropriate in certain cases, but not in all. And I think that's what, um, I, I think that maybe scares some people off from from adopting some of the good things about it because they think it, it needs it's it's kind of black or white. It's all or nothing uh, approach. Well, and, you know, you see that. I mean, um, that happened in the quality movement. It happened yeah. in the Six Sigma movement and lean. And now it's happening in agile. People take the methodology as gospel versus practical. <laughs> and I, yeah. my whole view is be practical. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Get something out of it. No, that's that's a great that's a great point. Well, following on that a little bit more, uh, you know, you recently wrote about um, mutual trust between leaders and employees is critical to success. Uh, how do you how do you define you know some of the factors that help build this trust? How do you work with organizations to uh, to start building that trust? Yeah, um, this is one of my favorite topics, so <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, at Avius, we have a, a trust model we've used for years, and it's really, it, a lot of times when you say trust, people immediately go to motive, and um, it's such a weighted word. To get underneath it, we look at the three dimensions that create or destroy trust, and they are capability, reliability, and motive. And very often when people say, I don't trust, I don't trust the leader, or I don't trust my employees, or I don't trust that department, they are ascribing motive. But really, um, very often trust gets um, engendered or destroyed because of capability. So for example, you can put a person into a stretch job because you see them as high potential, but they're not proven. So you know putting them in that job, they are not 100% capable. And your, your role as a leader is to help them learn what they need to do to become fully capable. In other situations, you can't afford that learning time and you need a fully capable person. And so there are decisions as a leader you make about when, when you are in development mode and when you're in execution mode and how, uh, how capability weighs in. Reliability is a little different. Reliability says Greg's completely competent. I've seen his work performance, but he's not showing up. You know, he's, he's not turning in his work or his work's incomplete. And so on the reliability side, what I always want to know is, is there something going on that um, maybe it's personal? It has nothing to do with work. Or maybe there are limiters at work that he or she is afraid to discuss. So really understanding the source of 
failures to be reliable are critical. But those two factors um, are often ignored when you talk about trust and people go right to motive. Motive, the way I think about that is, is the person in front of you self-oriented? It's all about me. Is this good for me? Am I going to advance my career? Will I get my commission? <laughs> Will I? Yeah. Um, some of those things are legitimate, but if that's all consuming, that person's motivation is going to turn off other people. If their motivation is other oriented, this is better for the organization. This is better for my team. This is better for our customers. This is better for our stakeholders. That other orientation will elevate trust. And so I always encourage people to kind of get underneath the word. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is I think the other trap leaders fall into is it's very easy as I'm doing right now to start telling people answers yeah. instead of asking questions. And so conversation becomes one directional. That is very limiting to trust building. Um, if you can open up and engage people and get their ideas into the conversation, way more likely that you're going to build trust. Yeah. Yeah. So how is that, how's that measured? Um, as far how do you, how do you recommend that an organization measures trust? Yeah, I think it was, I'm very sure it was Stephen Covey that first, um, coined the phrase, the speed of trust. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that I look at is, um, are your, we were talking about entrepreneurial and innovation, um, are the things that are going to make you successful in the future advancing at a pace that you're satisfied with? And if not, why not? And usually there's some trust factor. Well, we were waiting for that department to do something or we were waiting for so-and-so to do something. And so I think just looking at the speed of performance is critical. I also yeah. think you can look at capability and reliability. It comes out in basically productivity measures for various departments. Are they, are they partnering effectively? And then is the result that they're delivering useful to advancing whatever the assignment was? So I think you can use some pretty um, standard business metrics and apply them to, are we becoming more trusting or less trusting? And then, of course, there are surveys that you can take. Edelman has the wonderful trust barometer. You've probably yeah. seen it yeah. um, that you can participate in. But I like hard measures because people, what you, if you know, they, the old phrase, people love to be part of a winner. <laughs> well, winning means that there's trust in the organization and people are aligning to the tasks, and that comes through in speed, predictability, reliability, quality what your customers are saying about you in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one last question before we, uh, before we wrap up, um, you've written several books and, and continue to write. It sounds like you've got one you're, you're, you're working <laughs> on um, as, as we speak. <laughs> so yeah. what, what role do you see uh, being an author play that, that helps you in the rest of your work? Oh, I love that question because nobody asks me about writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, the number one thing I think is that writing has taught me the value of rewrites. And what I mean by that is early in my early career, I was in such a 
race to climb the ladder and accomplish business goals. And I was kind of a once and done girl, you know, I wrote it once, I turned in the business paper, I turned in the report. Um, Doing creative writing or um, whether it's a book or an essay or sharing your thoughts, you know, through a Slack channel or however you might do it, inviting people into your thinking process is what uh, what I like to do. So when I'm writing something, I like to invite people to give to be critics to give me feedback because it, it expands your thinking, and um, it's the same is true in leadership. When we started Avius and my team, if you ask them, would say I say all the time, make my ideas better. Writing taught me that. Yeah. Invite people in and make your ideas better. No, that's great. I like that. That's great. Well, um, again, I'd like to thank uh, Chris Mahai, president of Avius, a division of MedDecision and author of several books, including the most recent, Bold, Essential Leadership for Transformation. Uh, ugh, I cannot say the name of that book. Okay. <laughs> Just say Bold. I'm gonna, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back a, a question. I missed something. So, <laughs> breath of... Uh, Chris, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. For those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to learn more about what you're doing? Um, well, the easy way would be to go to avius.com, click on the bold link. If you're interested in the bold leadership or uh, trust conversations, you'll find lots of information there, including lots of interviews with bold leaders that we've met through the years. That's probably the easiest thing to do. Obviously, you can get the book. Um, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and probably any other place that professionals are found. <laughs> great, great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Chris Mahai, president of Avius, a division of MedDecision and author of several books, including the most recent, Bold, Essential Leadership for Transformative Change, for joining the show. To learn more about uh, both customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.